Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Redemption. I was going to say you can have your seats, but y'all beat me to it. Y'all are quick. Well, my name is Juan Chavez. And uh, I know that I have not been able to meet all of you yet, Uh, and I hope I can. You know, I'll be hanging out like Sean does. I'm in there every Sunday. I'd I'd love to uh, meet you and get to know you, but uh, because I don't know all of you, I just want to give a brief um, introduction to who I am, and I'll start with my family. Uh, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Tina, going on six years now. Yeah, boy, marriage. And uh, we have two beautiful daughters. Uh, JL is our oldest. She's three years old. Hey, yes. And our youngest is Violet. She's a year and a half. And yeah, we're blessed with a beautiful family. Um, I work, having another, what? Uh, I work for a nonprofit organization called Urban Youth Excel. Um, I don't know, you guys might have seen some information on that on uh, the Loop email that was sent out uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, we do inner city youth and young adult ministry, and uh, we target uh, Camelback High School and Cesar Chavez High School and the surrounding uh, community. And I work mostly in the Levine and South Phoenix area uh, around Chavez because that's where I grew up. That's where I'm from. Uh, I was raised in that area my whole life. I got saved 10 years ago, and um, I actually work. That's the high school I graduated from. So I've, I've been able to be back on that campus and just see God work in powerful ways over the last, like, 10 years. And, um, yeah, it's been pretty amazing to see all that God has done, all that he continues to do. Uh, So my family and I do ministry there, and then we've been members here at uh, at Redemption Peoria for for two years now, and uh, a few months ago I came on staff as a resident pastor, and I am grateful uh, to stand before you guys this morning. Honestly, y'all, like I was reading Psalm 50 this morning, and it says uh, to to offer to God a sacrifice of, of thanksgiving. And I was just thankful, like, man, God, thank you for all that you've done in my life um, from when I got saved at 19 up to this point. And honestly, guys, like, not just saying it because I'm up here, but I'm grateful that I get to stand before you, uh, before my church this morning and, and uh, share God's word and his truth and rejoice with you in, in this word that we're going to uh, go over together. Uh, grateful for that. So uh, we are continuing our Advent series, and Sean briefly um, 
you know, gave an explanation of what Advent means uh, last week. And, and just a reminder, it just simply means arrival. And this is a season uh, for Christians where we wait and we, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. And this, guys, is my favorite time of the year. How many of you guys can relate? Like, this is your favorite holiday of the year right here? few of y'all, right? We could clap. Like, clapping is good. Let's go ahead and clap for Jesus. He was born on Christmas. You know what I'm saying? But really, guys, like, this is by far my favorite time of the year. Uh, One reason, because it's hoodie season, and I love hoodies. Like, if I could be rocking a hoodie right now, I'd be rocking a hoodie. Um, I love uh, family gatherings. I love just getting together with with my family and, and hanging out. I love seeing lights everywhere I go. Uh, a couple days ago, I was uh, just cruising through a neighborhood, saw a bunch of Christmas lights, and just thinking about the light of Christ, like the light he, he uh, brings into this world, and that he is to you and I, and just thanking God for that. Um, I love Christmas music, 99.9 FM all day. And I absolutely love the food that we eat. God is good when he created tamales, y'all. Like, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but there's, man, thank you, Jesus. And I don't know, like, if you, if I eat a tamale, like, outside of the holiday season, it's okay. But when I eat it in this time, it's like times 100. It's phenomenal. Yes. Uh, so today, y'all, we're going to be, we're gonna be uh, going over uh, three different things. I just want to give you a, qu- a quick review of what we're going to be covering today. So uh, we're going to be looking back at, at how the people of Israel waited to be rescued from their slavery in Exodus, and Moses' role in that. Uh, we'll be looking at, the second thing, we'll be looking at how the people of God waited for the Messiah to come and bring true rescue and that Messiah being Jesus Christ. And lastly, we're going to take a look at how we are still waiting today for full rescue. And we'll be using uh, the book of Hebrews as a base for all of this. So I know we read it already, but, you know, sometimes it's just a quick read and, and we're not able to get to our Bibles fast enough. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Hebrews 3 and we'll be in 1 through 6 uh, the rest of this sermon here. I'll give you a second to turn there. It's a beautiful sound, the sound of pages moving in the Bible. All right, let's read this. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our, conf- our confidence and our boasting, and our hope. We're going to start with uh, verses 1 and 2, but specifically verse 2. So verse 2 says, um, so Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, 
just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. The writer of Hebrews immediately brings up Moses when encouraging the readers to consider Jesus. And there's a reason for this. And I want to give a brief explanation of this reason by, uh, by summarizing Exodus. All 40 chapters. Yeah, pray for that. But particularly in Exodus, we're going to be, uh, I'll be summarizing Moses and his faithfulness in uh, leading the Israelites out of slavery uh, to the Egyptians. So at the beginning of Exodus, uh, chapter 1, we, uh, we, we, get, we, we have it explained to us that the Israelites are multiplying in ridiculous numbers. Uh, later on, it goes on to, to say that as they, left, as, they, uh, as they left Egypt, that there were 600,000 men, just men alone. So it's estimated there, at the end of it all, there could have been over 2 million Israelites that, uh, that were saved and rescued from Egypt. But they were multiplying in, in, a, in a ridiculous amount of numbers. And Pharaoh at the time, uh, he feared that because they were growing so quickly that they would join the enemy's camp if a war were to break out. And eventually they would escape from the land. So Pharaoh's solution to this was to enslave the Israelites. And in chapter 1 of Exodus alone, we, have a, we just have a few descriptions of some of the things he did to, to enslave these Israelites. It says that, that Pharaoh dwelt, he dealt shrewdly with them, that he afflicted them with heavy burdens, that they were oppressed. It says that they were ruthlessly made to work as slaves. And it says that twice in the same chapter. They were ruthlessly made to work as slaves. It also says their lives were made bitter with hard service. And the crazy thing is, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of their oppression and their slavery, you know what happened? They continued to grow. They didn't stop growing. They actually grew more. And Pharaoh was upset by this. And this this dude is mad like, He's crazy. He put out this decree and he said that every son born of the Hebrews shall be cast into the Nile. I mean, can you imagine what they, how they felt? Can you imagine giving birth to a son and and having to cast him into the Nile to death? Can you imagine the suffering that these people went through, the oppression that they went through and the more they grew, the harder Pharaoh put work on them. So much so that instead of the straws coming to them to, to make their own bricks, they had to now go out and get their own straw and still make the same amount of bricks. Like, dude was ruthless on them, and, and they suffered. And then on top of that, to give birth to a child, and if it's a boy, to cast them into the Nile to death. Like, man, they were suffering, and they waited to be rescued, they were crying out for rescue. I mean, put yourself in, in their shoes. That's heavy. I don't know none of us have experienced anything that heavy. But I want us to try to understand and, and wrestle with how tough that must have been for them. Exodus goes on to explain that, um, that Moses came into the scene. So it, it, it explains the birth of Moses. Moses is born a Hebrew. And because that command was given to you know, uh, to send all the boys into the Nile, uh, eventually Moses was also cast out into the Nile. But Moses' mom uh, kind of protected him, and she, she put him near um, 
like near a bank where it was, it was kind of safe for him and he wouldn't just flow down so quickly. And Exodus explains how Pharaoh's daughter came out to bathe and she saw the baby and she called for one of her helpers to come and, and get Moses. And, and when she saw him, she took pity on him and, and she wanted to, to raise him. And it's crazy because, um, because Moses' sister is there and, and he tells Pharaoh's daughter, do you want me to go and call a, a Hebrew nurse to nurse him? And she says, yeah. So she takes Moses back to Moses' mom and Pharaoh's daughter is like, hey, I'll pay you wages to, to nurse him. Until he's old enough to, yeah, it's funny, right? Like, that's crazy how God works. I'm just, I'm blown away at just God's power. Like, he has a sense of humor. That's crazy how God did that. And then eventually Moses gets to this age where, um, where he's given over to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter and, um, and she raises him. But Exodus explains how, how Moses was passionate for his people still. So um, Exodus 2 says that, um, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And Moses looks to the left and to the right, and he ends up killing this Egyptian. And then word spreads, and people find, uh, find out about it. And in fear, uh, Moses has to dip. So he leaves. He's hiding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Moses, uh, Moses flees, he's scared, he's hiding out, and, and his people are still suffering. So Israel is, is groaning, and God hears their groaning, and he hears their crying, and God calls Moses to go and rescue his people. And this is where we get, like, the burning bush. This is where God speaks directly to Moses. And God gives Moses these powerful signs to display uh, in front of Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would know that the Lord is with Moses and is with his people. And uh, Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. He doesn't give in. Moses continues to go before him and tell, tells Pharaoh to let his people go, let God's people go. Moses, uh, Pharaoh says no. And then God uh, sends out these 10 plagues throughout Egypt. And, and it's crazy because these plagues that were sent out, uh, they didn't only threaten the lives of the Egyptians, but they also attacked the idols and the false gods that the Egyptians worshipped at that time. Because God wants the glory alone. He wants to make it known that he is the Lord, the great I am. Eventually, Moses, like I said, I'm summarizing this as best as I can. So Moses leads um, the Israelites out of Egypt, and they come to this point where where they're at the the Red Sea. And they have their backs turned toward the sea. Um, The Egyptian army is, is coming after them. And Moses takes his staff out, and the, the waters uh, divide, and they walk on dry land to the other side. And then God commands Moses to uh, point his staff toward the water. And as the Israelites escape to safe land, the Egyptians are still on that dry land. The waters come in, and, and they drown and kill all the Egyptians and their army. And, uh, yeah, I say all that to say, like, dude, Moses was a beast. Like, Moses, Moses, rescue, God used Moses to rescue the Israelites, y'all. Like, that's crazy. I, we have a hard time uh, getting our girls ready to leave the house before we go places. And for you who have little kids, like, you know what I'm talking about, how difficult it is to round them up, get, it, get them ready, and leave. By the time you, we get in the car, we're exhausted. 
Moses was used by God to rescue the Israelites. He was revered by many. Hebrews 11.3 says, Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And as we, as we read in Hebrews, if we look at, let's, let's take a look at verse 3 and 4 of Hebrews 3. Verse 3 says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So the author of Hebrews is saying, look, despite how great Moses was, despite how God used him and he rescued the, Is- the Israelites, and he, and he performed all these mighty works and all these signs, Jesus Christ is better than Moses. Jesus Christ deserves more glory than Moses. One commentator says, the Lord had spoken with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And, and this is found in Exodus 33. And had given Moses the law, the commandments and rituals of the law, listen to this, were the Jews' supreme priorities. And to them, Moses and the law were synonymous. But uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament referred to the commands of God as the law of Moses. Yet, as great as Moses was, Jesus was infinitely greater. And the writer of Hebrews is not putting Moses down in this example. But he, he is putting Moses next to Christ and, and explaining how in comparison Christ is so much greater. It's like putting silver next to gold. We see, we see what silver is worth. Silver has its value. Silver has its worth. And Moses could be like that silver, but next to gold. Like gold is worth more. Gold is more valuable. And Jesus is gold all day. Jesus is better. Moses was faithful. Jesus is more faithful. Moses was obedient, but Jesus is more obedient. Moses was courageous, but Jesus is more courageous. Moses was still very flawed and sinful, and Jesus is perfect in every way and sinless. Moses rescued the people of Israel. Jesus rescued humanity. Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus is faithful over God's house. He is the creator of the house. Trip out on on this. In Hebrews 11, uh, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Do you see the comparison to Jesus in that? I couldn't help but to think about Philippians 2, 5 through 8 as I read this. It's describing Jesus. It says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, I mean, Moses, Moses chose to say no to the pleasures that he had in Egypt. Jesus said no to heaven. 
Jesus left heaven to come and rescue us. Later on in Hebrews, it talks about the heroes of the faith, and and Moses is one of those heroes of the faith. And even though they're considered heroes of the faith, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder of our faith. I could talk on and on and on about how Jesus Christ is supreme and greater in every single way because he is. And we we are to thank God for, for godly men. We should be grateful And thanking God for these heroes of the faith that have gone before us. We should be grateful for the men of God that are in our lives, that encourage us, that pray for us, that stand here and teach us. We're grateful for them, but y'all, they're a a far second. We're all a far second from Jesus. I think about Cornelius when when he bowed, uh, bowed down in front of Peter. And what did Peter say? He said, get up, I'm merely a man. And I know we don't bow before, before men, but we just got to be careful that our hearts aren't going in that direction to worship men, to worship anybody but Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it, it's great because this, the story of Moses, the story of Exodus, points directly to Jesus. It's a foreshadow of, of what was to come in Jesus. So let's look at uh, verse 5 in Hebrews 3. It says... Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, here we go, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. I like the way the NLT version uh, says it. It says that Moses' work was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. So, so Moses and the Exodus, was, it was meant to point to something bigger, to something better. The people of Israel were slaves to the Egyptians, they cried out for rescue, and God sends Moses, and you and I were slaves to sin, in bondage to our sin, and God sent his son Jesus Christ as the true rescuer, and this is good news. This is the best news. This is why we celebrate Advent. This is why we rejoice at the coming of Christ, because he came, because Look, I know we talked about it last week, but what, Adam, what happened with Adam when he sinned and, and the fall that came from that and how it affected you and I, God planned to redeem and restore and rescue through Christ. And we see that plan coming in, into, into um, lost my train of thought. We see that plan happening when Christ is born. Good news. Good news. And here's the beautiful thing is that Christ gave up his, his life willingly. He gave it up willingly. It wasn't taken from him. Christ gave it up willingly. The just died for the unjust. A righteous man died for the unrighteous. A sinless man died for the sinful. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we should rejoice in this truth because it gives us new life. When we were once dead in our trespasses, we are now made alive in Christ. We have new life. We have new hope. We are promised eternity with God forever because of what Christ accomplished at the cross. And this is good news. But you and I are so quick to forget this good news. We are so quick to turn away from this good news. We set our eyes on Jesus and then... Eventually, it it moves. 
We look for fulfillment elsewhere. We search for identity elsewhere. We look for salvation elsewhere. And we are prone to wander. I love that we sing that song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Y'all know I can sing. (laughs) Prone to leave the God I love. I'll never make the worship team. (laughs) But how true is it, though? How quick are we prone to wander? I mean, in this last week, how quick did our hearts look for fulfillment elsewhere, for peace elsewhere, for joy elsewhere? I know I wrestle with that all the time. I've got to constantly come back and remind myself that it's not found in anything outside of Jesus Christ. But our hearts are so quick to run to these other things. And our culture, y'all, our culture is pushing for everything but Christ. We become convinced that the amount of money we have in our bank accounts measure our worth. And so we look for salvation in money. Or that the type of body shape we have measures our beauty, and so we look for salvation in beauty. We seek comfort above all things and will do whatever it takes to minimize pain, especially in the Western culture. And so we seek salvation and comfort, thinking that that's enough and that will save us. We crave affirmation. We crave it, y'all, especially in, in the social media platforms. We crave the likes. We crave the shares. We crave affirmation, and we look for salvation in that. We swim in a culture of individualism and suffer from meitis. Everything is about me. And we think the world revolves around us. It's, I don't know if uh, you guys watch The Office. You guys watch that show? But my wa- yes. My wife and I love The Office. And two days ago, uh, we were watching the episode where Michael uh, runs over Meredith with his car. <laughs> How are we laughing at that? So, so he runs over Meredith with his car. And then The Office finds out that Michael ran over Meredith, and they're mad at him because he ran her over, but Michael is so consumed in himself that he spends the rest of the episode trying to convince the office that he's not that bad of a guy. Instead of tending to Meredith and and caring for her and admitting his mistakes, he tries to convince the office that he's a good dude because it's all about him. Like, if you guys know the office, you know Michael is, he suffers from meitis. But so do we. So do we. Like, we, we suffer from that. We think everything is about us, and, and we want to put ourselves first. And, and Christ teaches the opposite. Like, I mean, I know that we know this, but, but we got to remind ourselves of this, that we're not first, that, that Christ is first. And the commandment is, it, the commandment is to love God with all of us and to love people as ourselves. God first, people and then us. Our culture's mantra is to work so we can get. And this is where consumerism comes in. I, I trip out at seeing people fight over television sets at Walmart. It's crazy. 
But this is our world. This is our culture. It's about consuming goods and, 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 and getting more and getting more. And so we work so we can get more. And we work and we work and we work and we work. And then eventually we find our identity in that. We find our identity in things. We find our joy and our fulfillment in those things. And they don't satisfy. And we have to be reminded that money won't save us. And beauty won't save us. And comfort won't save us. And affirmation won't save us. And the American dream will not save us. And Christ alone, by his blood, saves us. And we rejoice in that. And listen, y'all, this salvation that, that we have in Christ brings us joy. It brings us joy. I'm not talking about happiness that is fleeting. But true, deep, dense joy. And this is why in a portion of scripture like John 15, 11, Jesus says, I have these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So when we look at this, a, a scripture like this, he says, these things I have spoken to you. Well, what are these things? Well, when you look at verses 1 through 10, Jesus is constantly saying, abide in me, abide in me, remain in me. Remain, 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 abide, abide, abide. I counted at least 10 times he uses these words to abide in him because in Christ alone, there is joy. In Jesus alone, when we're resting in him, when we're spending time with him, when we're thinking about him, when we're in his word, when we're living in Christ as our foundation, there's a joy that that comes about from that. And my prayer is that is that our prayer would be that of Psalm 73, when Asaph says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And all that, he says, look, and all that heaven has to offer, I want you, God. And in all that earth has to offer, and all that I can get from earth, if I stand those things next to you, May my desire be you. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. And this is a wrestle we have to get in with, to desire Christ, to pray that God would change our desires for more of him. And he goes on to say in verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I mean, how true is that? How, how often is our flesh going to fail us? How often is our heart going to fail us? But he says, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this, this truth of the gospel we have to remind ourselves of. And we're going to wrap up in uh, verse 6 of Hebrews 3, our last verse that we're reading. So let's go ahead and turn there together. It says, And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. This hope that, that Hebrews 3.6 is, is, is talking about is not only the hope that we have in Christ and what he's already accomplished for us, but also in the assurance that he will return and bring full restoration when he does. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You and I cling to this hope as we wait 
We cling to this hope when we suffer. When sin hits us, when it rubs up against us, when suffering hits us, we cling to this hope. When we see broken relationships, when death hits close to home, or when sickness hits close to home, when we suffer from anxiety, when we suffer from depression, when we suffer from the weight of this world, the brokenness around us, the insecurities we have, what else can we do but turn to Christ? What other hope do we have but Christ? And the things that my wife and I have have suffered from, all we had was Jesus. That's all we had. That's all that's the only thing that carried us through. That's the only assurance we had and that's all the assurance we needed. Is Jesus. And when you and I suffer from the brokenness around us, we cling to the hope that is in Christ Jesus. And not only when, when we suffer, but when we, su- when we see suffering around us, we also cling to this hope. So when we see things that maybe don't hit you directly, but we know it's there, we see the brokenness in the world, we see racism, we see poverty. We see murder. We see kids in the foster care system. And I'm thankful that our church is on the forefront of doing something about that. But we still know that there's thousands of kids in our state alone that are suffering. And when we see that, or broken homes, or division, or hatred, we cling to Christ. We cling to this hope that one day that will be no more. That one day that will all be done away with when Christ returns. As there was a waiting for the Messiah to come there's still a waiting for him to return. And when he returns, you and I will see the promise of Revelations 21, 3 and 4 fulfilled. One of my favorite scriptures. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Favorite verse. He will, he will, it doesn't say he might or maybe or probably, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And God goes on to say, behold, I am making all things new. Our youngest, Violet, um, It's funny because when we park in the parking lot to get into church, she starts crying because she knows where we're at and she don't want to go to class. But our oldest was worse. I kid you not. We would exit the freeway and she would start crying because she would start recognizing where we are. She's fine now. Like she runs to class. She's happy with class. She loves seeing her friends, but our youngest ain't there yet. So when we drop off Violet in class, she'll cry for like five seconds. And then she'll be fine. We'll walk away and we're listening for her and she's fine because, she, you know, she's playing, she's hanging out and stuff. And about a month ago, I ran into Zach Toby and, I, and he was in class with Violet. And I said, hey, man, how did Violet do today? And he goes, oh, she did really well. He goes, but you know what I noticed is she has these moments where she just like randomly gets sad. Like she'll be playing and hanging out and then, and then she just gets sad. Like she'll pucker up her lip and her eyes will get watery. Like she wants to cry and then she'll, she'll be fine. And then she'll go play again and she's good. And then she has this other moment when she's just sad again. And I know why she's sad because she's waiting for, for mom and dad to go pick her up. 
And we're okay with dropping her off because we know we're going to go pick her up and, and she'll be with us the rest of the day. She'll be okay. And as I thought about that, I think it related perfectly to our walk as Christians, that as we are on this earth and as we are walking with Christ, that, that we have these random moments of feeling the weight of the world and it, and it hurts us and it saddens us. And then we give that to Christ and we hope in Christ and then we, 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 we continue to walk with Jesus and we continue to do our thing and then, and then another moment of, of, of sadness and we see the weight of this world and, and, and our hope has to be rooted in the fact that just in the same way mom and dad are going to go back for our daughter, that, that our father is going to come back for us, that Christ Jesus is going to come back and redeem and restore all things and it will be made well. Uh, as a staff, we are reading a book right now by a woman named Tish Warren called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And this book, man, is, y'all got to get your hands on it. And uh, she has a chapter in this book on waiting. And um, I think it goes perfectly, y'all, with, with what we're talking about this morning. So I'm going to end with this, uh, with this portion of, of the chapter on waiting by Tish. And I think we have it up on the screen. It says, she says, We live in a brutal world, but in the life of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, we glimpse redemption and participate in it. We have a telos as we wait, which is an ultimate purpose and aim. Because we have a telos, a kingdom where people will reign and where God is worshipped, we can never wrap our lives in little luxuries and petty comforts and so numb ourselves to God's prophetic call for justice and wholeness in this world. The future orientation of Christian time reminds us that we are on the way. It allows us to live in the present as an alternative people, patiently waiting for what is to come. We are never quite comfortable. We seek justice, practice mercy, and herald the kingdom to come. The liturgical calendar, which which we're in right now celebrating Advent, the liturgical calendar reminds us that we are people who live by a different story, And not just by a story, but in a story. God is redeeming all things. And our lives, even our days, are part of that redemption. We live in that truth. We live in the truth that however slowly or quickly we may be traveling, we are going somewhere. Or more accurately, somewhere and someone is drawing near to us. Redemption is crashing into our little stretch of the universe bit by bit, day by day, mile by coming mile. We have hope because our Lord has promised that he is preparing a place for us. We are waiting, but we will make it home. My prayer is that we will rejoice, church, in the true rescue of Jesus Christ and be rooted in the hope that we have in him. Um, I'm going to light this candle right now. Last week, Sean lighted this candle to... Uh, symbolize the hope that we have in Christ. And this candle here is to symbolize the joy that we have in Christ. Next week, John will light the candle that uh, represents the rest that we have in Christ. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, uh, we're going to have just a quiet moment. And during that time, that's, that's your moment to reflect on the word of God um, prayerfully t- to let the Holy Spirit just speak to you where you're at. And um, yeah, and just listen, listen for God's voice during that time. And then after that, 
uh, someone will come up and lead us in a time of response. God, we're grateful. Uh, Thank you, God, that we can look at a passage in the Old Testament and see how it points directly to you. Thank you, Christ, for, for coming and that we get to celebrate your coming and that we have new life in you, Jesus. And thank you that as we are waiting for your second return, that our hope is in your promise that when you return, all things will be made new again. Uh, Speak to us during this quiet time. We love you. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.